This week, we take a different approach to the show, and I interview our podcast host, Kip Saunders. We split this interview up into two episodes. In this first episode, we talk with Kip about his early days working at the bomb shelter pub at the University of Waterloo, the transition to working full-time in the industry after graduating university, Kip's time spent working at Ethel's, then leaving Ethel's to work at a day job for a few years, and his subsequent return to Ethel's, and the influence that the party lifestyle can have on you both personally and professionally. Enjoy part one of the show. Welcome to another episode of the Industry Podcast, brought to you this week by the Sugar Run Patio. Still secret, just outside. I am Kip Saunders. I am your host. Well, generally I am, but today we're doing something a little different. With me, as always, is Dan Serretta. How are you? I'm doing very well, thanks. Just enjoying the nice spring, summer-like weather. Yeah, yeah. We're actually recording outside for a change, so if you get any ambient noise, that's the reason why. As always, the best way to support the show here at uh, the Industry Podcast is to subscribe, rate, and review the show. It really costs you nothing. takes very little time to do. So, uh, you know, punch those buttons. Help us out. Damn straight. Yeah. Uh, More subscriptions, the better. That's right. At Zach Hanna Design is where you need to go for all your design needs. He does the brilliant artwork on our Instagram page. So always a big shout out to Zach. Yeah, I guess uh, we're doing something a little different this week on the podcast. We have no guests. Correct, correct, <laughs> correct. Yeah, so we're just going to switch up roles a little bit, and I'm going to interview the Kip Saunders. Mm-hmm. So I get to hear all about my illustrious 30 years in the business. Without further ado, let's just get right at it. All right, well, let's see. Let's start off with what are you doing right now, just so people get a good idea yeah. of what's going on in your life at the moment. Uh, well, I'm stuck in my house. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we're, they're, they're let, setting us free a little bit in Ontario right now. But So right now I own Sugar Run Bar in... Um, downtown Kitchener in Ontario at uh, Speakeasy in a basement in the back alley in the, in the downtown core. And I am op- uh, in the process of opening another bar in Uptown Waterloo called Babylon Sisters. That'll be coming soon. It's a wine bar that's going to be opening in Uptown Waterloo. So yeah, that's what I'm doing. Nice. Oh. All right. Well, that's good. And uh, so let's take it all the way back to the beginning then. All right. So... Like everyone else, how did you get in the industry, and what uh, age were you at that point? Well, I had a couple under-the-table jobs when I was... I grew up in Kingston, so I, uh, I had a couple underground, under-the-table sort of bar gigs there for a little bit, but um, we don't really need to go into much detail about those. <laughs> so, because my first real... My first, like, what I would call serious gig happened when I moved uh, here to Waterloo for a university, and I got a job at the campus pub, the bomb shelter, which is where I met you. That's correct. No, that's not true. I knew you before that. Yeah, we were in the same program. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, actually, I do. There is one job I remember you talking about before, though. Before the bomb shelter, I want to hear about it was when you worked the Thousand Island cruises in Kingston. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those were going to bring up. So I know, that was, I, I've I, taken those cruises multiple times over the years when yeah. I was a kid. Whenever some relative would come to visit from Europe, we'd go take him up to the Thousand Islands, so I want to see what the perspective is of someone who's working. Well, it was pretty shit for me, because I was on the <laughs> below deck level, where so I couldn't really see any of the action, nobody was ever down there, because uh, everybody's on at the top of the boat looking yeah. at the islands, that's the whole point of the fucking cruise, and, but there was <laughs> an right. entertainment uh, factor down there, and the brief stint that I spent working there was a really terrible ventriloquist that I got to see a few times a day for the <laughs> whole time I worked there. But uh, yeah, nobody, people didn't even really drink on that 
boat, which is amazing to me. I, you get on a boat, seems like that's what you want to do. But it was a, it was an older crowd that takes that cruise. Yeah, so that's for sure. Yeah, they're up there to see the, and I, a lot of them get seasick. I think so. Adding boost to that scenario isn't great. Mm-hmm. It's great because I was 16. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> perfect. I always wonder what those cruises were like from the other point of view. So. Yeah, I always wanted to do actually like one of those. I almost went on like one of those Alaskan cruise ships, but then a friend of mine who was in the who was a singer uh, did it, and then came back and told me how fucking awful it was. So <laughs> I bailed on that. Perfect. All right, so let's go back to the bomb shelter then. Yeah. And so, uh, that would have been what second year university. Yeah, uh, yeah. So first year of university, I spent pretty much uh, just getting bombed all the time. So I didn't really have a. Then our second year, I realized I better start making some money if I'm going to keep up that lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I had already worked as a bartender, so I figured I would apply and just become superstar bartender at the bomb shelter. But that's not really the way it works there. Yeah. Uh, I got the job, but then I found out that I was going to be uh, bouncing heads. <laughs> <laughs> Working the door. Breaking necks and cashing checks, eh? Yeah. So they start everybody there on the door. It's actually, in, in hindsight, looking back at it, it was actually an amazing experience because you learn every single part of the of the bar industry. from. Because yeah. we had to, to get to bar 10 there, uh, you had to start working the door, and then they would move you up to, like, a door supervisor. Excuse me. And then um, after that, you could become a back bar, then a bartender, then maybe a server, then a bartender. But essentially, they made you do all of the jobs before you got to the job that everybody wanted, which was bartending. So uh, at first, I was like, what the fuck am I? I don't know. The guy was skinny. Like, I had uh, no experience as a bouncer. And the very first night I worked there, there was a giant fight in the. I don't know if you remember. Because you worked there for a while as well. The, um, we had something called Rock and Roll. What was it? Wednesday night Rock and Roll night? Fuck. Rock and Roll Wednesdays? Yeah. It was something that, that simple Palmer anyway. Wednesday? Yeah it, was, yeah. it was rock music only though. Yes. And, and it was like the most popular night. And yeah. they would have lineups all the way up the steps to the bar and right out into the campus center where the bar the bar was contained inside the campus center. Yeah. And, there was a fight broke out in the line, and they I was the closest to the door, so they sent me up there. I'm like, like 180 pounds at the time, maybe. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I had to grab the guy and hold him against this freezer that was there that they used to sell ice cream out of. And he was just fucking swinging at me the whole time, and they're like, okay, just hold him there, don't let him move. <laughs> While they dealt with the other guy and then ran downstairs, and I'm just holding this guy's taking haymakers at me the whole time, and I'm just trying to dodge it. That was my, like, that was within the, it might not have been the first night, but it was definitely in the first weekend that I worked there. Um, but eventually, I figured this part of the job out. There was some crazy shit going on back then, though. I remember worked with a couple of dudes from Capus Casing. Um, oh, yeah. Crazy guys, yeah. And they used to literally, like, we'd be standing at the bottom of the door of the lineup. Women would be trying to jump the line and literally trading blowjobs for access, for premier access into this rock and roll club, which I never really got. Like, (laughs) is it really worth demeaning yourself in that fashion just to skip a few places ahead in line? But apparently it was. Apparently it was. So, yeah, lots of crazy shit happened on the door. But then, I mean, you're working, back then there was 
there were almost no rules too. Like, yeah, it was on like on campus. So, like I remember, that, like maximum ice and Labatt ice, Labatt maximum ice had just yep. come out, and it was like it's the seven percent beers. Yeah, which is more normal now, but yeah, like back then, back then all beers were like four and a half percent or whatever, yeah. and people got would just get fucked up, like just immediately fucked up. But they did have one good policy there, where it was like. You didn't really get cut off. You just kind of got kicked out. Like, or did you get the button? Oh, right, right, right. There was that stage where we were doing the button that said, if you booze, you lose. Yeah, but they let you stay in the bar. Yeah. <laughs> so you could be vomiting. <laughs> but you had to wear the button. Yep. But at any point, somebody could just walk into the bathroom and remove that button. Like, it was just literally a pin. Yeah. But then so. they get your ID back at the end or something. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But now you're, It's all coming back to me now. You had to trade your ID for the button. Yeah, we had a lot of IDs at the end of the That's night. That's right, yeah, all the fucking time. <laughs> I also saw while I was working there some guy, he was a football player, and he was like really, like it took a few of the guys to bring him down. He was causing us, he was just getting in a fight, and uh, they dragged him in the office, and I, I, I never saw, I thought this was just like a thing they did in the movies, but some of these old dudes who worked there, some people who worked there for a really long time, uh, were like beating him with a phone book, and I'm like, what the fuck is happening here? And I didn't know what that was all about. And they're like, well, you don't want to leave a mark. It's like, <laughs> where, am, where am I right now? I was looking for the ventriloquist. <laughs> but um, they also had like lots of crate, like obviously the football players, the basketball players all drank there and they'd get pretty fucked up. They'd always be sneaking booze in. And I was just at that point, I'm like, I gotta fucking do whatever I can to get off the door. I'm not qualified for this position, and I'm tired of staring down angry football players who can kick my ass and <laughs> telling them that they can't be sneaking booze in or yeah. fighting or what, whatever the fuck was going on. Uh, but that was a different world back then. It was this was definitely heavily pre Me Too uh, era yeah, of. Yeah. Uh, the bar, not a good time for the bar industry, but at the time when you're in it, it just seems normal and you don't really realize that. The staff parties were fucking outrageous there. We had, uh, yeah, I remember taking clothes off for one of those. Yeah, we all had, we had to, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Every four months, because the turnover was based on like terms, like it was four months was a, a term in university, and then you'd lose a bunch of people because they'd either be on co op because it was a co op school and be off to work somewhere, or they had graduated, or whatever. So we'd had a lot of turnover every four months. So every four months, we'd have a new staff party. And the manager at the time would, uh, and I believe this is why he eventually got fired, but that was after I left. But he, uh, he would make you do a strip show on stage for the rest of the staff. <laughs> and we all had to do it. That's right. I remember one guy tried to make a run for it, and all the fucking bouncers grabbed him and dragged him back to the stage to make him strip. I'm like, think about that now. <laughs> <laughs> in today's in today's world, at the time we just thought it was hilarious, and now I just realize how scarring. Like some people must have been legitimately scarred by that experience. We'll guarantee. It's like forced. Like, it's like forced, forced stripping. Cl- forced stripping. Yeah, I don't know how else to say it. Like, <laughs> well, that's probably what happens with all strippers these days. I'm sure. But yeah, actually, <laughs> that might be a good point. At, at any rate, that's a nice digression into my times at the door. But yeah. I finally was like, I got to get off the fucking door. Like I, I don't belong here. So. I started taking the job more seriously, hoping that they would <laughs> see the, see the, promote me, which eventually did happen. And then I got back to got back on uh, 
as a back bar, and then finally a bartender, then a supervisor, night manager. I got demoted for a bit. <laughs> for uh, there was a, I think they thought that we were giving doubles to our friends when oh, they yeah. ordered when they paid for singles. I think maybe that was happening with some people. I wasn't doing it, but I was caught up in the whole. And, like they ended up demoting eight to ten bartenders and supervisors because of that. But then I regained my position, and when, by the time I was done, I was doing the night management gig. But by then, you were there as well, DJing all the time, right? Yeah, 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 DJ. I did work some door shifts, too. Oh, you did? Yeah. Did you have to work door to be a DJ, too? Then, <laughs> no. I, mean, I, fuck did, I think they just needed some someone to fill in. Oh, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think I remember how we had to turn, turf out a couple of guys, because they were in cowboy hats. They were just smashed as fuck. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think Mag was working the door, at the, or he was the soup at the time. Right. And he goes, take these guys out of here. I'm like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, what? Uh, pardon? Uh. <laughs> yeah, those were some crazy times. We had a lot of fun after work, too. I remember just emptying that. There was a there was a main bar, and then there was like a satellite bar. Yeah. We would just empty the keg after work every night. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Just hanging yeah. out, drinking beers. Everyone would sit around in a big circle, like almost everyone who worked there. And yeah, that is one thing that we've lost a lot of in this business. Like, and, um, Or maybe... It's just that I'm old and I don't really do that anymore. But like, I wonder how much that's had. I mean, fuck. I guess they don't tell the owner if they're doing it. Yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like so just that camaraderie of yeah, the camaraderie of hanging out after work. You really become tight with people that way. Mm -hmm. And now, like, but again, obviously part of that's because I'm an owner now. Um, but you don't really have that same sort of camaraderie that you developed with people you worked with back in the day. People take it more seriously now. That's a good thing. But. It's also, you kind of miss the, some of those late night boozing sessions. Yeah. I don't know if I can handle them anymore, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's just, you find it, how other, how other people work and just find ways to work with them. And, you know, some people need to get pushed, some people need to get left alone and, yeah. and just develop better relationships. And it's more fun. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that is one of, the, one of the things I do miss, but I don't miss like, Leaving the bar when the birds are singing. Yeah, that's, that's it, for that sure. <laughs> I remember one night we went to this local, um, or one morning after it was a night of drinking, we went to this, uh, and we used to always hang out late night with the guys who worked at Fed Hall, which was the yeah. on-campus nightclub as well. So we was the largest North on-student uh, nightclub in North America, right? Or on-campus, I should say, nightclub. Yeah, so like we'd have camaraderie with them as well, and we would like kind of join the parties after a certain hour of work and we ended up at this breakfast joint at like seven in the morning still drunk and one of them got just went back and started cooking his own breakfast one of the guys from fed hall i'll never forget that i turned around like we're like where's i'm not gonna say his name but like and, <laughs> and i was like oh he's, i turn around he's flipping eggs in the fucking bag. <laughs> probably, probably at angie's i'm guessing yeah so at angie's which i believe is leaving us soon yes yeah mm -hmm. that's gonna be replaced by a condo tower Yep. Not such a bad thing no. in that case. But yeah, so I mean, the bomber was a great learning experience, like I said, because you, having to learn every job, you really understand what, first of all, like now that I'm in an ownership position, I really understand what all those people should be doing. Yeah. Which is like eventually why I came on this on this idea of like giving up my kitchen to somebody else. Um, we outsource our kitchens at my bars now to places that know what they're doing because I don't know anything. I've never worked in the back of the house, so I don't know how to do those jobs. So why would I pretend I do? You know what I mean? Like, let some let somebody who knows what they're doing do it. 
but having done every single job in the bar industry up until the point where I left the bomber, um, I'm pretty confident that I know what my employees in those roles should be doing. Yeah, yeah that's a good way to go, right? Yeah, and you really, I mean, if you, if you have done, if you've been a bar back, almost everybody should be a bar back before they're a bartender, in my opinion, because it just really, like, it, it just teaches you that speed and efficiency necessary and, w- like, where everything should be at all times, you know? So it makes, so it makes the bartender's job easier. Yeah. All right, so after the bomber, uh, eventually you have to graduate and leave. Yeah. So Then there was, like, a fucking time. I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. So I went to Europe for about four months with about a fourth of the money that I actually needed to go to Europe with. <laughs> <laughs> so we went with my, with a good friend of ours and uh, we did some, it was just all like overnight train trips and bus trips so we didn't have to pay for hostels and sleeping on park benches and we always had money for beer though. <laughs> lots of, I had lots of days where my meals were like three Snickers bars and two bottles of water, but I always had beer. How's, how's that different from now? Yeah, not much. Yeah, not much. <laughs> uh, so I did learn a lot about when I was over in Europe. I learned a lot about how. I mean, it's, they sort of our things are a little bit more global now, but at the time, European bars were very different than uh, Canadian bars, at least. Like the. The majority of the bars that we had in Canada at the time, and outside of Montreal and certain parts of Toronto, they're all, they're, there was a, a level of sameness to a lot of it, right? Like, lots of Irish pubs, and now there's still, a lot of this stuff still exists, but now we have a lot more to choose from. At the time, it was like sports bars, Irish pubs, like dive bars was yeah. kind of your options, or, or you're going into like the fine dining restaurant side of it, like, or something that's chiefly a restaurant, like a like a Kelsey's or something like that. But now there's a lot more of the kind of, oh, we do good food and do good drinks, you know? Or, or we do good food at a sports bar. Yeah, like, yeah, where do you speak chicken wings? Yeah, so there's a, there was a lot, there was a, like that wasn't really happening in Canada. So like even seeing like cocktail lounges, like I never experienced any of that until I either Montreal or Europe, right? So. Yeah, yeah I guess true, yeah, a gastro pub was something that didn't really exist here. Mm. I came back from Europe, and then I didn't know what the hell I was going to do, so... That's when we were li- Is that when we were living together in the summer? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, so... You, myself, Nate, and Cam? That's right. So we... Basically, my theory of how that summer was going to go was I was going to smoke all of the weed and play as many games of Sega 94 hockey as I could fit in in a day. And I think that you and I did... Cam and... Nate had jobs and we yeah, didn't. I didn't work for the first couple of weeks. Yeah, I didn't work for a while, and and I didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do either. I was like, okay, I'll just get another bar gig for a little bit because the one thing I knew about um, that I liked about this industry is that you can make a lot of money quickly, and you, it's fun, and you can take as much time off as you want because if you know how to do the job, you can probably find another serving job again. You know, yeah. Like if you're good, your people will hire you. Uh, so I did eventually work at a couple of places. I worked at... Um, Is it Times Square? Times Square, yes. Uh, which that was, was the old, uh, that old post office, post office uptown Waterloo. That's right. Beautiful building. Beautiful building. The guys who owned it were a piece of work, though. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'll, I went to their staff party one time, and the guy called me upstairs, and he literally had 
Like, you know that scene in the end of Scarface where Tony Montana just sticks his face into that giant <laughs> pile of blow on his desk? That's a lot of my Friday nights the last couple yeah. of days. <laughs> That's what it looked like. And I was like, huh, all right, I see how this is going to go. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, at that period of my life, I was not doing a lot of cocaine, so I yeah. passed on that. But yeah, everyone makes mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, but that place was, it, it was inevitable that that place was going to go under just because of the way it was being run. Those yeah. guys, uh, the one thing I remember of that bar mostly is they had a bar upstairs and then they had a bar on the main, uh, main level that served the restaurant. And if you were the bartender, uh, the, which would, you would be, it would be stationed upstairs in the quote unquote bar, even though nobody was ever up there. Every they had a full fucking bar on the top level and a full fucking bar on the bottom level, and then all their backup in the basement. And you had to weigh everything every morning and every night. It was insane. Like, yeah. <laughs> like that's. I mean, that taught me a lot about how to not do inventory. But honestly, <laughs> it would take me the majority of my shift was just weighing bottles. Like, I, I had my brother's stag party at. Uh, uh, times, or at least the dinner, the dinner portion. I always knew you didn't really like him very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty fun. Actually, the food there wasn't too bad. The they, was they had we good had a, chefs, but yeah. the, but the guy, the ownership just didn't know what they were doing. So then I kind of was like looking for something else pretty quick. But I and I worked a, a hot weekend at the Revolution nightclub. Oh yes, where you worked for several years. That's correct. Yeah, it's, that, were you before me? Oh yeah. Yeah, because uh, I was... Yeah, because I was early 2000s. So that would have been 97. Yeah, there. yeah I, I, I worked there one weekend because I was just... I remember there was this giant island bar on the main floor. Yeah. And there, there, so there were just different tills all the way around the bar. And you'd be paired with one other person at each till who you split tips with. But there's always that gray zone in the middle where the, oh, the yeah. money gets left, right? Yeah, and a, it was a good fight. Yeah, and and that guy, like, on slower nights, you could tell what you know which money which money is yours and which isn't. And I would see this guy who was working the till next was constantly scooping our tips, and I'm like, you know what? I've had to deal with customers stealing my fucking money a million times in this industry. I don't need to be worried about my coworkers also. Like, <laughs> like the you know the customers who do the old show and tell. Oh yeah. The, the show and scoop or whatever you want to call it is like where they they show you that they're about to tip you on the bar and then as soon as you go to get the drink and they've got it on the table they just pull it back. Fuck, like I still pull that fucking move these days. <laughs> yeah, that's why it's so popular. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't. So that didn't. That wasn't going to work for me. And then I finally got this gig that I really wanted, which was at Ethel's Lounge. Mm -hmm. Because um, Big Dan was working there. At that's the time, right. right. So Big Dan, who has been, been on this show, yep. you should all check the archive. So has the owner of Ethel's Lounge, as a matter of fact, oh, Glenn, Glenn Smith. Smith. That's correct. And my former manager, Greg Brow, have yeah. all been on this show. <laughs> it's like, well, oh, Krista. Yeah, Krista. Uh, Krista. No, no, Katrina. Katrina. Yes. Um, yeah. That's the beers already. Yeah. <laughs> uh, already on too. Yeah. Well, at the beginning, we were leaning heavily on our friends on this show. Yeah, so that's thanks, true. thanks to all of you. But you guys should check out the archives to hear these great interviews with mm -hmm. all these people. So Big Dan, who I knew from Kingston and who I knew from the bomb shelter because he used to run the music events there. He was working at Ethel's by this point, and he 
told them I wasn't a complete piece of shit. What was he wrong? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't think they listened to him too often yeah. after that. <laughs> but, uh, and then I got the gig there. And I, then I worked there off and on for 16 years, believe it or not. 16 years. Mm-hmm. So the first, yeah, I worked there for a long period of time, and then I was and like... Was it straight, were you bartending and waiting tables, or is it uh, one of the... Yeah, kind of, like, they would rotate the shifts about who was the bartender and who was the server. But basically, if you were a server, you pretty much made all your own drinks, ran them yourself, bust your own tables. Like, later in the later in the time that I was there, they started hiring, like, runners and bussers to help out with some of that stuff. But when I first started working there... It was half the patio, and like it was a long, long patio off the back end of the bar. You'd run all the way to the end, serving, on, and you'd have a whole side as your yeah. section, and then you'd have to serve them all, run back inside, make your drinks, run them back out, run back in to get the food, run that back out. Like, it was, that was the best training ground I ever had because, it, like, that's a sink, that was a sink or swim environment and we always knew when they'd hire someone you could tell within two weeks whether it was going to work out because you, you just had to be so on your game and so efficient like some of the but as a result some of the best people i ever worked with worked there like as far as skill for the job yeah yeah let's describe bethel's for those who aren't too familiar with it yeah so it's kind of a hard thing to describe yeah. a little bit like glenn it was a former kfc because i remember yes. going there when it was kfc mm-hmm. i remember getting taken because uptown waterloo was pretty much a ghost town at that point in the in the mid 90s yeah funny how that's changed yeah jesus has <laughs> that ever changed so it's kind of it's a bit of a hard it's it's definitely a, like everyone's corner bar like yeah. it's a very regular based bar you see the same faces every day that you work there very eclectic would be a way to put it. Yeah, like the crowd was all over the place. You'd have university students and younger kids, um, younger 19, 20-year-olds who like weren't in university. And then you'd have your sort of middle-aged people with kids who came out for their big night out or for dinner or whatever. And then you had like the really old dudes who would sit at the bar, hold up the bar every night, yeah, every 50s, day of the week. Yeah, 60s, 70s. Yeah, it was all over the place. But it was that kind of bar, like everybody sort of felt, it still is, I'm talking about it like it's gone, yeah. it's still there. <laughs> everybody was welcome, like everybody felt welcome. Nobody felt out of place there, which is a cool thing about it. And it was, I, I honestly, I don't know how he fucking pulled that off because that's the dream if you're a bar. That's how you stick around for that long. Yeah. Like if, 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 if you don't turn anybody off, then... You got it made. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, I think just a good combination of parking right at the bar mm. and uh, just Glenn. He yeah, Glenn attracted a, a lot of people, yeah. yeah. And students living close by, so he got those people. And he's a character who has a long career in the music industry promoting concerts and stuff, so he had all these cool old... People like the cool old tables oh, and yeah. the cool old posters. and A lot of the old memorabilia of the shows he used to promote. Yeah. I remember when we first started working there, or when I first started working there, though, you could only play blues music, and after a while, it was just like, holy fuck, like, because <laughs> it's, there's a certain, like, style of blues music that works okay for a bar, but I really, like, that really sort of, the really old stuff is just too depressing, and as much as I like it, I all listen to it at home, but, like, for a bar envi- environment, it's brutal. A little steel string guitar, a little slide guitar. Little yeah, thing. and then that late 70s, 80s blues music is just so cheese, like, just... Is the Kenny, Kenny G of blue music? Okay, blues yeah, kind of. Card guitar solos that are way too fucking long, and, like, <laughs> <laughs> and, like, got that almost... 
I don't know how to describe. Well, all, like all, like a lot of the music was in the seventies and eighties. Sure, sure. Mid Coke pre AIDS. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> a Mid Coke pre AIDS era. Yeah, that's, that's right. It was just. <laughs> but he finally lightened up on that, which was good. But that that place was amazing. Like I said, great training ground, great people. I met so many of my really good friends there. And uh, so many of them were who were just regulars there. Some of them I worked with, lifelong friends. And I'd, it's like I got to tell you, one like the money was incredible there. I I've never worked at a place, and I never will work at a place where I made more money as a oh, on a shift. There was a real sweet spot when I first started working there. Ironically, my first shift there, I broke up a fight also nice. <laughs> between these regulars who were all brothers, and they used to hang out there and get bombed every night. And they, as soon as they get Drunk, they started hating each other again, and but uh, they were longtime regulars right. there. Yeah, good, good enough dudes individually, and if, and pre their sixth beer, but <laughs> <laughs> but as soon as then, it was like once they hit that sixth beer, all the family drama came out, and oh, they'd yeah. start fighting. And so my very first night, <laughs> that happened there too. And I was working with Big Dan, and he pretty much told me to, I had to go break up that fight. <laughs> I was like, what was this guy? Bad common thread here. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we didn't have too much. We didn't have too much trouble there, and a lot of it had to do with Big Dan actually, because he was such an intimidating presence that, yeah. like, and he was there on all the busy nights. So, yeah. he's a big dude. Yeah, it's like when you have a guy. That's something that's weirdly valuable when you have a guy of his size with his temperament, who's not even the doorman. He can also just work as the bartender. That's because then there's something about already having a bouncer when you walk into a place that that, that kind of it almost lends itself. To more violence, if that makes sense. Like, you know, they're like, oh, this is the place where they need a bouncer. Shit might go down. Yeah. Like, you know, it's almost like a mentality. Whereas if the big dude's just the bartender, it's a whole different vibe, especially when you have like the temperament that Dan has. Yeah, that was, uh, there was this real sweet spot where when I first started working there, it was very much a late night spot. So there would be like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do a sh- shit from like 5 to 10 p.m. And then like after, 10 o'clock you start getting busy and then it slowly started to get more known for the food because they do good food there mm-hmm. especially like sort of i would say elevated pub food yeah once the food started doing really well there you just see this it, it is now slowly morphed into a place that i think is much busier between five and ten than it is between ten and two yeah yeah it's true but there was a sweet spot there while this transition was happening where it was busy from five till two and so many people who worked in the industry used to hang out there. We all know that means good money. They would all come in. People who worked in restaurants, they'd come in from at like 12, 12 30, 1 o'clock. We used to call it the $100 a hour between 1 and 2, where it's just like <laughs> just getting peppered with tips. It's like if you can make it and you're not too beat by the time you get there, it's a good reward at the end of the shift. But, yeah, I made a shit ton of money there. And, and I, they always let me take as much time off as I wanted, so I got to travel extensively during that period as well, which was awesome. I made a big mistake for about two years and went to work at Rogers Communications. Oh, yeah, so let's talk about that. What, what made you decide to, to get, and how many years had you been working at that those, when you made that transition? I was think, trying to think about that the other was day. It, like, it was around 10 or 12 or something? Uh, I think it was more like, I think it was more like five or six. My second sit there was- early? Yeah, my second sit there was much longer. Oh, okay. And I, uh, well, basically, like, you know, so I grew up in the era where, like, due to my age, the, the your, your life was pretty much planned out for you before you started in a way. Like, you, the whole formula was you go to high school, you graduate, you go to college or university, 
you graduate, you start a family, you buy a house, you get your career job, you retire, you die. Yep. And as a result, and I think a lot of people who are around my age, like you, there's a certain amount of guilt that's associated with that if you're not doing that. Well, for sure. And you don't, you can't really put your finger on it. You just always feel like you're not, like being in the service industry is not good enough. Like I'm, this is my starter job, right? And I, I know some people still feel that way, but it was very, like, very serious form of guilt during that time for me where I was just like, I got to get on with my life. I got to do something. I'm All I'm doing is partying and, like making cash and traveling and that's great but like i need to start getting on with what i'm supposed yeah. to be doing your job doesn't have a pension yeah yeah exactly no benefits like yeah. I, I wasn't saving any money i was spending it as fast as i was getting it and my girlfriend well like i'll, I'll call her my ex-wife because we were together for 18 years we just never walked the aisle but like we had a house together a dog together she um was feeling the same way sort of and we were like, okay, well, and she was definitely tired of where she was working at the time. So we were like, fuck it, let's quit our jobs, we'll go to Greece for a while. Which was great. Um, man, I love Greece. But uh, when I got back, she was like, well, I'll just, I don't know what I want to do, but I, I'll find a, a serving job while I'm trying to figure that out. Where I was like much more stubborn about it, and I was being like, fuck that, I'm not... I'm gonna get a job, job. And the problem is when you're, you know, you've moved along in life. I was getting close to 30 at this point and I had no experience in any other job except I had my two most successful um, employment stints were as in the service industry and as a drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> and so unless I wanted to get back into either oh, of those. Both pay well. They've, oh, they both pay great, and the time off is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Actually, there was a lot less time off drug dealing now yeah, that I think that's about true. it. That's true. The phone's always ringing. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, though, but what I was doing, it was pre-cell phone. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Shit. Lucky. Um, but at any rate, those were the two things I had, I'd had the most success with in my life. So I had no experience. I had a university degree, which helped, obviously. But Our political science degree? Yeah, exactly, which is, does not have a lot of practical no, uh, use, ex not, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, unless you're going on to further your education. Exactly, which we did not. That's correct. <laughs> After all those products, you should go, yeah, yeah, I should do a lot of shit. <laughs> yeah, shoulda, shoulda, shoulda. Yeah, shoulda. <laughs> <laughs> well, consistency is key. <laughs> so, yeah, at that point I was just like, I was behind the eight ball a little bit, like everybody else I knew from university who had just gone straight into career mode, like we were quote unquote supposed to, were pretty well along in there. Like they, of course they started entry level, but they were pretty far along yeah. now and were had pretty decent paying jobs. We're on that path that we were talking about. But me, like I'm starting late now, so I gotta just find anything that's not serving or yeah. dealing. <laughs> and, uh, so I went to, uh, Work at I, the only thing I could really find was Rogers, and they paid okay for an hour, but yeah, and they they really sell you on like, well, it's really there's a lot of opportunity to move up in the company, right? Yeah, if yeah, you for, stick it for out. For international listeners, Rogers is a provider of cell phone, internet, and cable television service. Right, it's like the Verizon of yeah, of Canada. Yeah. Um, except in in Canada, there's really only two companies. There's yeah. Rogers and Bell. <laughs> So, and I was like, there were perks, like you get, like they owned the Blue Jays and like you can get tickets and shit like that. And, but 
so I went, I gave it a shot, and but I was on like the phone, like the guy you call when you got an issue, and sure, no one's calling to say, "Man, I love your service." <laughs> exactly, this is so great. Yeah, that never happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did have one guy, however, call up, and he he had a very thick East Indian accent, so he was difficult to understand for me over the phone, and he was complaining about his why we were giving out his phone number to people. And I was like, what? No, we don't do that. And he's like, no, you do, because this same person calls me every day, and I never gave him my phone number. And I'm like, well, I'm telling you right now, sir, we don't give out anyone's phone number. It's against the law, blah, 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 right? And we argued back and forth and back and forth, and then he was fine, and I'm trying to keep him calm, and he's screaming at me. And he finally says, uh, he's like, no, this, this fucking Lobat calls me every day. And I was like, sorry, what? Who calls you? He's like, Lobat. I'm like, um... Have you tried charging your battery? <laughs> <laughs> so those are the kind of calls you'd get yeah. there. <laughs> and that job, like, I just fucking hated it. I, like, I kept trying to move up, but the people who have the jobs above you never fucking leave. Yeah. So I was doing everything I thought I could, like, try to do the job as, quick, as, as quickly and as, as properly as I could, and... Like even going to all the bullshit extracurricular stuff because that matters to places like that. I I just hated the atmosphere. They had like I remember during a training session we were constantly playing stupid fucking games like get to know you games or like get your personality out there games which I just hate. Like if I wanted to do that shit I would have gotten to drama. (laughs) Like, but so I I just hated that whole part of it. And then yeah and like. Again, I wasn't really moving anywhere. I'm dealing with just fucking angry people every day, every day, just calling and listening to people bitch at you. Even if you, like, solve their problems for you, them, they're still not that happy with you because you still work at the place that sends the bills every yeah, month, right? Like, true. And it's not cheap. So I, I, I finally, I remember I worked there for two years because I was really trying to stick it out. And then it's I remember. long, eh? Yeah way too long i can't believe i i honestly can't believe i stuck it out that long what were the hours i they when i first started working there it was like regular nine to five but then they had all these different shifts so i got on a one to nine for a little bit which is definitely more like a service and just at least pushing towards a service industry style hours so i like that a lot better but then i got on one of those like reduced work week things because in my head it was like the less days that i have to be here the better but then you'd work like i think i worked like four 10-hour shifts a week oh, or something like yeah, that. Yeah. It was like I was starting to lose my sanity and I just fucking hated it. And I remember like getting in the shower one day and I was like literally like I could feel myself starting to cry because right. I had to go to work. You had the silkwood shower, eh? Yeah, <laughs> the silkwood shower, exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, hey, look, this is not working out. So I literally called uh, our the manager at Ethel's at the time, the GM. Her name was Janelle, lovely woman. And I was like, is there any chance that you got shifts for me? Because I got to get the fuck out of here. And she was like, well, not right now, but when the patio opens in the spring, you can come back. So I did. And then in that stretch, I worked there like a decade. Fuck, I didn't realize it was that early that you went to the Rogers shift. Mm. Or Rogers job, I should say. But you know, it's good that I did go there that early because I think if I had gone later in my life, I would have felt more obligated to stick it out longer. Yeah, for sure. And I would have be I would be like even more miserable than I am right now. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. So I just uh, I went back to Ethel's and I also because they didn't have like when I left I was full time. 
I had all the shifts I wanted, these shifts that the specific shifts that I wanted. And when I came back, obviously they had had to hire someone while I was gone, several people during those two years. So I was bothered with the, the totem pole again. So I also got a job at Starlight. Oh, um, yeah. Friends of ours at the time, Bernard and Josh owned it. And uh, so I started off DJing there and then I, that the DJing just was not working there. So then I slowly... Now it's huge there. Well, like before was, they closed, yeah. before they closed down, they're closed now. But yeah, they had a good run for yeah. about 15, 16 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, then so I morphed into bartending there as well. And that's something else I just realized at that point in my life. I was getting too old to fucking bartend in a nightclub. And you, like, you know. Yeah. You did it a little bit. You were doing it pretty much around the same time, I think. Yeah, yeah. You can only take so much people hammering on top of the bars. <laughs> Waving bills at you yeah. at the end of the bar. I used to stop people when they'd hammer on the bar. i go, hey, dude, when you're ha- having dinner with your family, do you fucking start banging on the table, ask your mom to pass the potatoes over? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I remember I used to, I, I, when people would, like, bang or wave, oh. I, or, like, or wave a bill or, like, wave back in the line like they're too deep in the I would just stop serving everybody I'd be like excuse me I'm really sorry folks but it's very clear that this guy's way more important than all the rest of you so if you're if everyone's cool I'm gonna get to him first before all of you <laughs> no fuck you no yeah. boo well, so, <laughs> fuck now that the kids don't use cash what are they just tapping their debit cards on the I guess I can't it sounds like a fucking nightmare <laughs> but I like oh, oh like I well, just the speed of using the cards uh, yes oh, yeah god and just just that you know, I used to call it death by a million quarters, because like you you will make your money at the end of the night, but it's just like seeing it's just after a while seeing yet another dude or woman look you in the face and then think say that your services there were worth one quarter to me. <laughs> uh, it's just like it starts to hurt your soul after a while. I'm like maybe that is all I'm worth. <laughs> is it true? Am I only worth a quarter? Yeah, um, far off. Yeah, thanks. so i i got really and like so many like anyone who's worked in a nightclub has a million of these stories but the fucking people who would come to the bar and and they were usually the people who are banging and shouting and then they finally get to the front and they have no clue what they want like (laughs) it's like what can i get for you no fucking idea they're turning around they're asking their friends they've been waiting this whole time and they're so antsy to get served but they have no clue what they want and then they finally get the drink together it's like 15 things yeah eight different shots each one's each one's different yeah they get because everybody wants something different no i don't want i don't want a b52 though i don't want a broken down golf cart i want a tequila <laughs> like oh, great so uh, uh, let's have a, a layered shot a shaken one <laughs> it's like oh, God. and then you'd get back and, like, I swear to God how many times this happened. I finally get back, and I just need to get their money. And at this point, they've lo- they're already bored again because it took so long to make this drink or that they've turned their back to you and are just dancing. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, you can't get their attention because it's too loud. Yeah. Like, oh, just unreal. I, I got really tired of that fucking scene pretty quick, so. Yeah, it's it's a tough one to deal with. I know. It's good as a part-time gig, but as a yeah. full-time, ugh. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, uh, so luckily, the longer I suck at it at those, the more I started getting better shifts and more full-time again. I didn't have to work there anymore, which was nice. But, man, that was when I really went on a, like, a good 10-year bender. 
like <laughs> where I was making bad decisions all the time. Yeah. I rediscovered, I, I quit, I did a lot of blow when I was in high school and then by the time I came to university, I'm like, I'm out of this world. That was part of the reason why I left Kingston and came to KW is to get away from that scene I was in. I was doing a lot of drugs, pretty much anything Anything and everything. I tried. I tried them all just to make sure. Yeah. Just to make sure. Like you. Make, like you don't know. Sure all good. How do you know you don't like the black jelly bean? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> how do you know you don't like that specific kind of sushi unless you try it? So you mm-hmm. gotta at least give it a go. Found out I like most of it, but yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't? Yeah. So, but then I got really back into doing a lot of cocaine when I was in my second stint of Ethel's to a bad, bad scenario where I was like doing blow at work all the time. And like, and that gives you like, you're in a bad cycle because like, I'm, I'm so it's like, it starts this way. You start partying after work. You have a couple dozen beers after work. And <laughs> <laughs> with you. Couple dozen lines. Yeah, hanging out, having fun, couple dozen lines. Next thing you know, it's, birdies are singing again yeah. and you're off to bed it takes you a while to get to sleep because you're all sketched out sure your heart's pounding about 110 beats yeah. a minute you wake up like if you're lucky early afternoon and uh you're just you're just not yourself like you're overtired you're sketched out you're in a fucking miserable mood all the time without even really realizing it because that's just the way you feel every day yeah so it's not like you're it's not like today, like if I wake up now and I'm in a bad mood, I can tell, holy shit, I'm in a bad mood, I must not have slept well, whatever. There, it's just the way you feel all the time, so you don't even realize that you're constantly in a miserable mood. And then I go back to work, be the same fucking faces, who are all like lovely people, and now when I see these guys who I used to, I just feel bad, because I was, I was treating people like shit. Like I would just come in and I'd be, I was sick of customer X's fucking face. Like, I just, because I, I saw you every day I Having was here. the same conversation day after yeah, day. Yeah, same bullshit. And like, and they're all good people. But, and, they, and they're there because they want to talk to you as well. So yeah. I was like. Yeah, you're the surrogate family. Yes, 100%. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. Like, I mean, we can get into the issue about whether your surrogate family should be serving you alcohol the whole time. <laughs> but like, but aside from that part of it, like, good, solid people. And like I like people who I really liked. Sometimes I would just be like, "Fuck, like, fuck!" Like I was just on edge all the time because I wasn't getting enough sleep, and then oh, it started affecting my relationship as well. So then that was home was unhappy also, and uh, like it was just a vicious cycle of that was not good. Like cocaine's really fun at the beginning until it becomes like just a way of life and then it's really not fun and yeah. then you, but you don't realize that you're not having fun anymore you're like oh this, this was fun i stayed up till nine again yep. having the same conversations i had last yep. night right <laughs> that's right blast another line when you're fucking when you start your day off because oh now i feel good again yeah well that's what would happen i'd like come into work around five or whatever around nine i'm fading hard so then i started i'm like well i do know something that helps and well, just one. Yeah, and then I then you were in this vicious cycle where you're doing a bunch of blow at work and shit like and and just like yeah, once you start partying that early in the evening and then keep it going that to the same time every night, then you're just like making bad decisions and like uh just yeah, it was just a like, I don't even know what to say. It's it was a tough one to get in to get out of because everyone around you is doing it. Well, that's it. Like, and everybody you hang out with and party with is partying the same way. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's never a time where you're like, okay, I'm not gonna take a I'm gonna take a night off from blow tonight. No, 
Yeah. <laughs> or if it is just, that's, it's just that's one. not happening. The only way that's happening is if you accidentally sleep through the day. <laughs> <laughs> There's no sleep. <laughs> so, yeah, and I was like, I was like partying with a bunch of drugs too. A lot of MDMA all the oh, time. Yeah, that was. Yeah. That's a, that's a Lots of fun. I mean, you, you and I, you and I went to a lot of those parties in Toronto with yeah. fucking steroid dudes who don't wear shirts. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. Oh, yeah. And then, you know what? I, I got it got so bad for me that I was like, like it affected how my whole day went. Like I, you go out and you spend your whole time trying to track down some blow from somebody yeah like when am i gonna get it how am i gonna get it because my night's not gonna really start till that happens yeah. why is this guy fucking he's supposed to he's always usually an hour yeah this guy's like three 35 seconds late yeah. the fuck? that's right that's the right fuck? you're texting him again yeah. like what the fuck man you're still up you're still coming still oh coming? fuck i don't miss being a drug dealer yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah how true and yeah and so like so you have that part of your night where you're just like so much of it is just trying to get a hold of it. Uh, and then, yeah, like a lot of it. It's like, oh, this isn't like last time. Yeah, yeah. It's just, and <laughs> is this it, something it's, new? Did you get something? <laughs> yeah. Or my favorite is like, you just, after a while, you, you've been doing the same shitty cocaine from the same dealer forever. And then somebody, one of your buddies is like, no, you got to try this guy's shit. And it's like, oh, no, I'm telling you, this is so good, so good, so good. So you try his shit. And it does seem good, but it's just cut with different bullshit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it was just bad. That's right. That one had the Shoppers Drug Mart aspirin as opposed to the uh, name brand aspirin. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> cut into it. Yeah. So that's like, it just dominates so much of your thinking all the time. I'm going to get it. I can't really go out unless I've got some. Mm-hmm. I can't. Go to yep, work. How true. If I, unless I've got some, like, just... Yeah, that's right. Before leaving the house, I better do this as much as I can at the whole house because I won't be having the chance to do it at the bar. Oh, yeah. And what I used to have, I, I got to this point, too, where I was like, you're always finding, like, on the hunt to find a good spot to, to, to like, actually consume it. Yeah. Right? I used to have, I had, like, recurring nightmares about being in bars and not finding a good stall. Like there was like too much headspace above it or not enough below. And like everywhere I went, oh, there was like somebody taking a shit in there so I couldn't use that. And there was ones like, like I would have these dreams all the time where I couldn't find an appropriate spot to snort cocaine. Yeah. And I wake up in cold sweats and I'm like, that's normal. (laughs) That is a pain in the ass though. That's (laughs) right. That stall at Swiss Chalet. Yeah. That ha- I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> well, we got cut off at Swiss Yeah, we got right? cut off at Swiss LA, yeah. I mean, perhaps the only group of people to ever do it. Yeah. <laughs> the poor little girl who fucking cut us uh, off, too. She must have been, like, 16. Oh, um, God. And she was like, sorry, my manager says, we have to cut you off because, you know, this isn't a bar. <laughs> That's right. Uh. <laughs> And that concludes it for part one. We'll pick the story back up next week with part two with Kip Saunders. 